Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning, (coughs) or this evening. The saying says, not everyone who grows old grows up. You ever met a very immature adult? Some of you are like, we're looking at one. Thank you. Uh, I just actually just told Dustin, we were stand, standing back there singing together during that first song, and I didn't know what Brian was doing when he did the whole breathe out thing, like breathe in, breathe out. I, I leaned over to Dustin. I said, we're about to do a musical exercise, and then we sarcastically made a couple comments back and forth, and I said, I don't think I could sit next to you in a church service. It just would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, we wouldn't learn anything. Uh, you know what? There's some people that you meet that you probably would describe them uh, maybe a little, little immature in certain areas, but the truth of the matter is that not everybody who grows old grows up. How often have you seen an adult acting like a child? Now, un- unfortunately, we probably see it more than we want to. We've been out in, uh, <clears throat> you know, Walmart. See, see an adult throwing a fit, you know, you ever seen that? Maybe not laying on the ground and kicking, but you see a husband and a wife standing in the aisle and just, they're, they're, they're combating, they're going at it right there, right in the Walmart uh, checkout line or whatever. A few years ago, a group uh, conducted a survey of about 5,000 employees. They conducted this survey among 5,000 employees, and it was about childish behavior in the workplace, and listen to what they found. Listen to what they found. They found that 55% of employees say that they saw or they see whining within the, within the workplace. 46%, they see people pout over something that they didn't get to go their way. 44% said that they see coworkers uh, tattle on each other and try to vibe for position uh, over their coworkers. 35% said that they see coworkers, get this one, making a face behind their other coworkers' back when something goes wrong. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, 27% said that they've watched a coworker throw a temper tantrum. And then 23% said that they see coworkers refuse to share resources with other coworkers, work resources. No, this is my desk. This is my printer. That's my paper. The truth is not everyone who grows old grows up. That statement's true in life, but it's also true It's also true in Christianity. It's true in the biblical faith. One author said it this way, that too many churches are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. Say, Pastor, what are we getting at tonight? Getting at this truth, just because because you age doesn't mean you mature physically, emotionally, relationally, but the same is true spiritually. Just because you've gone to church for so many years or you've known the Lord uh, for such amount of time doesn't necessarily mean that you are growing in the Lord. But we need to understand tonight that I I think most Christians, most believers, they want to grow in God. 
Most believers, I, I presented it last Sunday morning, most people who know the Lord as Savior, they, they desire uh, perhaps to know God better this year than they did last year. That's a, a natural desire that many Christians have. However, it doesn't just take place. There has to be, I went over a lesson with the staff this last week, there has to be intentionality. Real and maturing Christianity is not something that just happens. You have to put some work into it. Tonight, we're going to start a study in the book of James on the very subject of maturing as a Christian or being authentic as a Christian. And in this series, it's going to be designed not so that you and I could look in somebody else's life and say, well, they're maturing and they're not. I'm better than, I'm more mature. I know God greater than they do. No, it's, a, it's designed to help us look into our lives introspectively and say, am I growing in the Lord? Am I closer to God now than I was last year? Am I closer to God this week than I was last week? And tonight, we're going to start the series by understanding that a thriving Christian, a thriving Christian, a maturing Christian, a growing Christian is going to seek to have joy in trials. Seek to have joy in trials. James chapter 1, let's start there tonight. Stand with me if you would, and let's read the first four verses James chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, we read these words, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We're going to dive into these verses tonight and understand just this thought that authentic Christianity, thriving Christianity, maturing Christianity seeks to have joy in the midst of trials and hardships. Let's pray and ask God to help us tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you take just a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? God, would you please speak to my heart tonight? And then would you make a commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you tonight. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for uh, the word. Thank you for how you use it to speak to us. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we go through these notes tonight and through this passage. Father, would you give us your mind and would you give us your heart and would you help us to uh, understand that you desire to bring joy even in hardship. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to apply this. And God, I pray most of all tonight, if there's someone that's here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that tonight would be the night that they ask you to come into their life, that they receive you as their savior. And Father, I pray that you'd help uh, everybody with us in person, those online, Lord, that every one of us would be challenged by your word and that you would use it, Father, just uh, surrender my mind and heart and words to you and speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. 
before we jump into the book of James, really just kind of give us some context and understand the book of James. Of course, in scripture, there's four men named James that we know about. Uh, the first is James, James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, he would also be known in scripture, uh, the brother of James, the brother of John, the sons of thunder might be uh, their nicknames in scripture. Uh, but then also he would be known as James the Great. And, uh, or James the Greater. And some people think, well, that's kind of weird because there was also a James the Less. So you have James the Greater and James the Less. Why would they be called that? Uh, really, they'd be called that because one was taller than the other one. That's basically why. James the Great, uh, he was probably a taller guy, bigger in stature, and James the Less probably wasn't as tall as James the Great. And so that would kind of be why they did that. But James, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Alphaeus, he's the other James that would have been uh, James the Less, who also was an apostle. There would be James, who was a relative of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas that's listed um, as a disciple or follower of Christ in uh, um, uh, oh man, I think it's Mark, no, Matthew 20, no, Matthew 16 maybe, somewhere in there talking about James, who is a relative of Judas that was a follower of Jesus. But then the other James listed in scripture is James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. From this list, many believe, and you can go and figure it out very quickly, that it would be James, the half-brother of Jesus, that actually wrote this letter. Now, here's what's interesting about the book of James and the fact that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this letter. If you, if you know the story of Christ, then you know that when Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen again, up until that point, his family did not believe that he was the Messiah. His family, none of, none of his family outside of Mary, his mother, Joseph, we don't know what happened, but his siblings, the Bible teaches that his siblings were very cynical to his earthly ministry. They, were, they kind of scoffed at him a little bit. Uh, they made fun at him, made fun of him. Oh, hey, if it's your time, why don't you do something great for us? And they kind of, they kind of uh, uh, slanderously attacked him every now and then. And so they didn't even believe that he was the Christ until after the resurrection. That would include James, the half-brother of Jesus. Didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he rose again from the dead. I can't, I can't understand that. I mean, you grow up with a sibling. I know my siblings, and I know that they have flaws, and I know that my siblings, uh, you know, they're not perfect. But can you imagine growing up with Jesus? I mean, you can't, you can't pin him on something because he didn't sin. It wasn't ever, you know, <laughs> you could tell Mary all you want. Jesus is lying, but Mary's like, no, he's not, because she knew. And yet, they didn't believe, but James, he would trust Christ shortly after the resurrection. And then probably, probably within about three years, James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And for a short time, James had uh, James would be kind of a co-pastor with Peter of the Church of Jerusalem, and they would have really a thriving ministry. You go to the first few books, uh, a few chapters of the book of Acts, and it tells you that literally thousands of people are trusting Christ as Savior and just seeing God work in an in incredible, incredible way. But then something happens in James six and or Acts six and seven. In Acts six and seven, persecution hits the church. Right in Acts 6 and 7, Stephen, the first martyr, would lay his life down. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 8. Uh, it helps us. It kind of encapsulates what was taking place in the church. 
Acts 8, 1 through 3, that Saul was content, consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they, all, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But notice verse 3. It says, and as for Saul, he made havoc, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So this takes place in the life of the believers at Jerusalem. All of them, all of them are new to the idea of Jesus being the Messiah. Get this, just about, well, no, not just about, every single person, every person that was a part of the, this is called um, the dispersion or the um, disbursement of the Jews or of the church, every single one of them, nobody in the entire group, nobody had known Jesus as their savior for more than 10 years. None of them. The very first people who would believe in Jesus as their savior would be those that Jesus called alongside him in the early start of his ministry. But that happened about nine years before, the great, before all of this. Jesus had an earthly ministry of three, three and a half years. Then the church would know some, uh, some peace, if you will, for uh, about two and a half to three years after the, the crucifixion and resurrection. James would become the pastor, and he would know probably some peace for two to five years somewhere in there. And so we're talking from the start of Jesus's ministry to this time in Acts 8, anywhere from eight to 12 years. I don't know if you would classify it as, as this, but I would classify this as a huge challenge. Great controversy, great trial. And it's in the midst of all of this that James, the pastor of Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, would sit down and he would pin the words that we read called the book of James. And what he writes to them, if you go to the first few verses, of course, the greeting, I love the greeting, I said this on the, on the podcast last year going through this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, but I love how James identifies himself as a servant of God, I'm, I'm a servant, I'm that, that phrase servant literally means slave, a bond slave, it means somebody who's bound to serve, hey, I am bound to serve God the Father and I'm bound to serve my own half-brother, Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, he labels himself, he identifies himself himself. And then he writes this, I'm writing to the, to the uh, 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Well, what would that mean? Well, he's writing to a mainly Hebrew audience who had believed in Christ as Savior. The 12 tribes, uh, Hebrew roots, Hebrew descendants. He's saying, hey, I'm writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. Hey, greeting. I just want to say hello. And then he just gets right into it. What's he say in verse number two? Verse number two, he says this. He says, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You know what? James just starts right off trying to help them understand, hey, we are all going through an incredibly difficult situation, and I want to write to you to help you understand you can choose joy. 
Tonight, I want us to take just the first four verses, and I want us to understand a few simple thoughts about having joy in trials. Because if we were to go and travel back in time and place ourselves in the midst of their circumstances, we could, we can probably assume that they read this and they thought, uh, James, are you serious? Have joy in the midst of all of this? But I want you to see tonight just a few points about why we can have joy in trials. Because a thriving, maturing, authentic Christian is going to strive to have joy even in the midst of trials. Notice, first of all, if you will, that joy, joy is a choice. We talk about joy, we're not talking about um, happiness and just walking around with this, this smile of, okay, everything's all right, hunky-dory, you know, I'm doing good. Uh, we're not talking about that cheesiness. No, joy, just having an understanding that I've, I can trust God with this, and my inside, even though the outside situation is crazy, my inside is at peace with God, knowing that God is in complete control, and I can still have a smile on my face and a smile in my heart. I can have joy in the midst of trials. We have to understand that joy is a choice. He said this to the believers that he was writing to. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptations here, it means testings or trials. The word count, it means to deem or or to uh, to, to, uh, uh, choose as. And then he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall, when you fall. That phrase, when you fall, it means to come across, when you come across trials. I want you to notice something, and I've said this before, but do you notice that it says when you come across trials, not if you come across trials? Hey, you know what? Trials are a part of life, aren't they? Man, they're just a part of life. They happen. I remember years ago, my dad in preaching or in talking and counseling, people would say things like, if I'm following God, then why do I get sick? If I'm following God, then why do I have financial problems? If, if I'm really close to God, then why? And they try, to, they try to base their external situation upon their performance with God. And my dad would always look at them and say, well, that's, that's a wrong perspective because financial struggles... They're a part of life. Health situations, they're a part of life. Hey, uh, uh, marriage and relationship struggles, it's part of life. Death, part of life. It doesn't say if you come across challenges and trials, it says when. And notice what James says. He says, when you come across those trials, choose joy. Deem it a joyous thing. Literally, you could say, deem it a joyous thing when you find yourself being tested or coming into trials. Trials are a regular part of life, and Jesus said it this way in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you, that, ye, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you are going to have tribulation. In the world, there will be trials, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
Think of the different trials that we face, sickness, disappointment, accidents, death, loss, financial crisis, relationship struggles, uh, struggles with kids or with parents or with grandparents. But in each of these trials, I want us to know this tonight, that we choose, we choose our attitude. We choose, we choose the attitude of our heart. And if we're going to have joy in trials, we have to know that joy in the midst of a trial is a choice. You choose to have joy or you choose not to. So next time you're in a trial, choose joy. Let's be dismissed. What do you think about that? Man, you think about it. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Hey, next time you're going through that struggle, just choose joy. Amen. Hey, next time a person in your family is getting sick, just choose joy. It'll all be okay. No, that's not, that's not where James stops. James doesn't stop there. Notice the second verse, the, the, second, the third verse then. When James says in verse number two, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you come across or fall into diverse temptations knowing this. Hey, here's how you can count it joy, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You want to know why joy is a choice and why you can choose joy? Number two, it's because you can know that God is working. Hey, in the midst of trials, you can know that God is working. He doesn't say, choose joy in the midst of your trials, period. He says, choose joy in the midst of your trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. This has to do with how we look at the trial. You see, when we look at the trial through our lens, we are only going to see a trial. But when, we look, but when God looks at a trial, he sees where the trial is taking us. I love how one author put it, and I, I've used the quote many times, but I, I think it's, I'd be wrong not to say it again. Trials in the life of a Christian are like the different yarns that are used to make a quilt. The yarn by itself looks, un, looks unfinished, stringy, of no importance, and disheveled. But when it is all put together, it creates something beautiful. Hannah is an artist, and I cannot tell you how many times I've come home to see a canvas covered in ugly paint. I can't tell you how many, I mean, tons of times. She's shaking her head, yes, there's tons of times I've come home and I walk in and I'm like, oh, what is that? And there's just like, like a couple months ago, I came in and the entire thing, it just, the, the whole canvas, it was a huge one. It looked like it was just covered in blood, just red paint. I went the other day to, to see something else she was painting. The whole wall was just covered in this yellow paint. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you going to create from that? To the person who's not an artist, I just see red, yellow, blue. I just see the singular color. But to the person who is the artist, she can see the finished picture while she's painting. To the person who quilts, they, you know, I would just see that, that yarn. I would just see that string. I would just see the single object. 
But they're already thinking, I know what the masterpiece is going to look like. Hey, in your life, in my life, when trials come, all we see is the ugliness of the trial. All we see is that singular situation in our life. But we have to know, and this is what James is getting at, you have to know that there's a master, a creative sitting up in heaven that's creating something beautiful in your life. Man, he's creating a beautiful finished work that you and I, we are not going to see. And the fact is that in the life of a believer, trials in and of themselves, they often look obscure, out of place and of no importance. But when viewed through the eyes of God, one can see that he is using it to create something Beautiful, And the fact is that we can more readily choose joy when we know that not only are trials a part of life, but God is working in my trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it's bringing about, it is working, bringing about, accomplishing patience. Patience here is not just a passive acceptance of circumstances, but instead it is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. Here's what, here's what James is writing to them. And listen, we have to remember who he's writing to because if we're not careful, we will say, well, that was, that's archaic. That was written way back then. They don't know what we're facing in our culture. But the fact of the matter is they were facing a greater, harder trials than I guarantee any of us in here are facing right now. I guarantee that they were facing trials that are greater than many of us will face in our lifetime. They were being arrested for their faith. They were being hunted for their faith. They were literally having to pack up their families in the night and and retreat to somewhere. But where were they going to go? Rome was the known world. And who was pursuing them? Rome. And yet James wrote to them, As a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to greet you. I want to say hello, but I want to just get right to the point. My brethren, count it all joy when you come across diverse trials and situations. And know this, that the trial you're facing, it is growing your faith. And that faith is working patience in you. That faith is working this courageous perseverance. Hey, you know what God is doing? God is stretching you and God is making you stronger because then the next trial that comes, you're gonna be able to go right through it. You're gonna be able to pursue pursue and persevere right through that next trial. Why? Because you've gone through this trial now. God desires that this type of patience be very real and evident and be a very real and evident part of our life. Paul wrote this to the believers at Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He said, our light affliction. You catch what he's saying? Our light affliction. This is Paul who was arrested, beaten, rehearsed his testimony for us. He calls it a light affliction, which is but for a moment. It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Hey, you can trust that God is working. And because of that, you can choose joy. We are more likely to choose joy in our trials when we remember that God, he's working. Hey, God's looking at the bigger picture as believers. We've got to keep our focus upon the control of Christ. We must know that he is in control of the situation and the key for going through trials with joy. It means I'm going to know, I'm going to perceive, I'm going to understand that God is still in control of this. 
When we face trials, we must evaluate them in the light, in the light of what God is doing in us and through us. We can have joy because we're not looking at the trial, we're looking through the trial and seeing a God who's in control of the trial. May we have the outlook of, of Job in Job 23.10. He knoweth the way, when Job said this, he, God, knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Hey, I just trust that he's working. I love this quote. It's been with, in my mind for years. I heard it years ago. If it were not for the rocks in its bed, the stream would have no song. I've always loved that quote. I don't know if you've been to a stream and you've gone out and walked in there and you thought, man, I wish there was just sand, but this, that stream has beautiful sound coming through it. Man, the, the stream would be silent without the rocks. Those rocks, that jaggedness is what gives it the beauty of the sound that you hear of that water flowing and it's the same thing in your life. It's the same thing in your life and my life that God allows trials. He allows trials to create a beautiful song. James is saying you can deem it all joy. When you're in a trial, you can count it as joy when you know, when you understand, when you remember that God is working. How do we have joy in trials? Well, we've got to first understand that joy is a choice. Number two, we've got to understand that we've got to know that God is working. Know that God is working. And number three is this. If we're going to have joy in trials, we've got to let God work. We've got to let God work. Notice verse number four. <clears throat> James writes this. But... Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know what James is really bringing to our attention here? Not only is joy a choice and knowing that God is working a choice, but in the midst of a trial, surrendering is a choice. You've got to let God work. You gotta, you gotta step back and say, God, I can choose joy because I know you're working and I'm gonna trust that you're working and I'm gonna allow you to work in my life as you see fit. The fact of the matter is that God will not build our character without our cooperation. Hey, God is never, listen, God is never going to make you choose him. He will not force himself into your life. God will never make a person choose him at salvation. You have a free choice to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or to reject him and spend eternity without him. That's your free will. That's your free choice. But God's free will in our lives does not end at salvation. No, God gives free will every step of the way. And the fact of the matter is that God often allows trials into your life and into my life. And he is asking, listen, he is asking you, hey, will you trust me through this trial? Will you find joy even in this trial? Hey, can you trust that I'm working and not try to pick this situation up and, and run with it on your own? Hey, can you trust me in it? God's not going to force you to trust him. God is not going to force you to choose him. No, I have to allow God. I have to open my 
heart, my mind, my hand up and say, God, I'm going to let you work. In verse number four, Paul says, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word perfect here, it, gets, it means the, to be mature or to be complete. When we let God work through trials, the outcome is a maturing or a, a, a completion, a growing in the Christian's life. But I want you to notice the word let. <clears throat> the word let we could say it means to allow, all right, to allow. But the word let specifically means this. It means to hold out and to hold open. To hold out and to hold open. Anybody got a couple quarters on them? Or some change? I just need someone to hold up change. Dennis, go grab some, or where's the kid? I need a kid to get some change. Right there, some kid, grab that change and bring it up to me. Javen, right there. Javen's got it. Oh, we already got it right here. Great, thanks. Wait, come here, come here, come here, come here. Speak in my mic, tell everybody your name. Ezekiel. Everybody say, hi, Ezekiel. Hi, Ezekiel. Hi, Ezekiel. Um, <clears throat> Ezekiel and I are gonna play a game, okay? Ezekiel, this is your change, okay? I want you to hold it just for a second. Anybody have a um, $1 bill? $1 bill. I just need, I need a $1 bill. Micah, find a $1 bill and bring it up to me. You got it? Man, look at you. I don't need your help. I just need his help. Craig just wanted to come up and help. <clears throat> this is Ezekiel. <clears throat> Now, I have a $1 bill. He's got 52 cents in change, all right? Ezekiel, do you want that? Yeah. Do you want to keep that? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Do you trust me? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's what I want to do. Ezekiel and I haven't rehearsed this. If you trust me with that 52 cents, would you give it to me? Yes. Okay, go ahead and give it to me. <laughs> do you see what he just did? He opened his hand, watch. And, and this is crazy, this is super cool. He opened his hand and he went, put your hand up, and he went like this. He released it, okay? Now, if I say, Ezekiel, do you trust me with that? And he says, no. He says, no, and he clinches it. And my hand's here and I'm saying, do you trust me? Why don't you give me that? Just, just give me that. Ezekiel, I got something better for you. Just give me that. And he's saying, no, no, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. If that continues to happen, you know what, you know, listen, you know what eventually is gonna take place? Eventually, I'm gonna say, okay, do what you want. But if I say, Ezekiel, do you trust me with that? Yeah. And he says, yes, and he opens his hand up, and then I say, there you go. And that's yours, Mr. Craig doesn't care. 53 cents, 53 cents is what he traded for a dollar. He gained 47 cents. Craig, owe you a dollar. I just didn't have it on me. <laughs> hey, <clears throat> the word let, the word let is very, it, it, it would mean what Ezekiel just did with that money, to hold out and to hold open. You know what God does in your life and my life, and I, I, I'm, 
I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this after coming across this in a study this last week. You know what God does? God says, hey, you're in a trial. You can choose to tight fist it and say, God, I don't understand this trial. God, and, and get frustrated about it. Or you can choose to say, God, I'm just gonna give this to you with an open hand. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing you to do with this trial what you will. And Paul, or James says this, when you let patience have her perfect work, what's gonna take place is you are going to become perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The phrase perfect and entire, it just means complete. And the phrase wanting nothing literally means lacking nothing. Do you know what happens? Do you know what happens when we open-handedly say, God, here's my trial, I'm just trusting you through it. Do you know what God does? He gives you exactly what you need to go through it. You are wanting nothing. You are lacking nothing. Why? Because you let. You held open. You opened your hand. You gave God the change. You said, God, I've only got 53 cents. It doesn't make, doesn't make any sense to me what is going on, but God, I just trust you. And in return, God puts in your hand and in your possession everything you need to face the trial that you are facing. You know what we have to do? We just have to let God work. I love how one man, one author wrote it this way when he wrote this, God will not work in us without our consent. There must be a surrendered will. The mature person does not argue with God's will. Instead, he accepts it willingly and obeys it joyfully. This is a great challenge to have us to have a surrendered will. When we are surrendered to God and his working in our life, we are growing into a mature Christian and we will be lacking nothing that is needed for our trial or for that uh, situation that we're facing. And we can always be surrendered to Christ because we know we can trust him. Why? He is the good shepherd and the, she the good shepherd always gives his life for the sheep. How sad it is though that we often struggle with this and we fight God's working in our lives. We complain through trials and we live in fear and in doubt. No wonder we don't live with joy. No wonder we go through trials without a focus upon him because we forget, we forget who the artist is. We forget who the master is. We're not trying to create a masterpiece. He is, and he wants to use your life. A thriving Christian, a thriving Christian is going to be a Christian who strives for joy in the midst of trials. How do we do that? We gotta remember, joy, it's a choice. It's something you choose. Well, how can I choose joy? You can know that God is working and you can let God work. I don't know about you, but joy in trials is not my first choice. But we need to see tonight that it is the best choice.
And regardless of your situation and your trial, God is working. He is growing you. He is shaping you to be more like Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28, uh, uh, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow. Them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Man, you know what God is doing through a trial? He's making you more like Jesus Christ. And that is something that can bring joy. God, I don't know why I'm in this situation. I don't know what the end result is of this situation, but God, I am trusting that you are working. And as best as I know how, God, I'm choosing joy. I want to just put my trust in you and say, God, this is yours. And Father, I am surrendered in this. And you know what? God says, great. That's exactly where I want you. Now you will lack nothing for going through this, but God's not going to appear to you and say, good job. Check. You passed. Okay. Here's the get out of jail free card. I wish that was it. I wish we could choose joy and God's like, that was the test. All right, you passed. And then it's like, you know, walking out of, walking out of science class, knowing that the teacher said, all right, pop quiz is off today. You know, God's not going to do that. You know what happens? It's just like working out. I don't like working out very much, but you know what I've learned? If you work out a little bit today, you'll be able to work out a touch more tomorrow and then just a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day. You know what you're doing? You're building muscles. You're building strength. In the Christian's life, when we choose joy in the midst of trials, God is building strength in us. He's making us stronger for the next trial. He's making us stronger for the next situation. So what do we do? We can find joy in our, we can find joy even in the midst of craziness. Where's the key? The key is find joy in the Savior, not in your situation. Hey, joy doesn't come because our circumstances are right and because our circumstances are perfect. Joy comes because I know that he's in control of every circumstance I face. I don't know what you're gonna face this week. I don't know what you've faced in the last year. I know, I know what I've faced. I know how hard a lesson and a message like this has been in my own life. But every time I think about the trials and situations that I've faced, it's funny. My mom and I joke about it with everything with my dad. And my mom said to me the other day, I said, how you doing, mom? She said, I'm, I'm doing okay. She said, honestly, I just keep hearing your dad's voice telling me what to do. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, when I feel like I can't, I can't go on anymore and I just, I just feel like I just wanna stay in bed, all I can hear is like, It's almost like your dad is right there next to me saying, Judy, just get out of bed and trust God. And then I just go a little bit through my day and I hear your dad saying again, Judy, just go ahead and go run those errands and trust God. You know what? My dad had a testimony all the years of the the cancer and all that stuff. I watched a man live with joy in the midst of trials. You wanna know why? There were days that dad struggled. He wasn't perfect. But I believe one of the greatest reasons is because he just kept his eyes on Jesus and not on the circumstance. I don't know what you face this week, but keep your eyes on Jesus, not on your circumstance. Know that he's working, allow him to work, and choose joy. A thriving Christian chooses joy in trials. And like every head bowed and every eye closed, and tonight... Tonight, I want to wrap up and 
just want to ask you a couple of questions. First, tonight, I just want to ask you, do you know for sure if you died today that you're going to heaven? Eternity is real. Every single person will spend eternity in heaven or hell. The Bible teaches that we are born without God. We deserve hell. We deserve to pay for the penalty of our sins. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die on the cross so that you could have eternal life. He came to die on a cross so that you could have forgiveness. And so I want to ask you tonight, do you know for sure if you died today that you're going to heaven? If you're here and you'd be honest tonight, you'd say, Pastor, I know I've trusted Christ as Savior. I know Jesus is in my life. If you know that tonight, would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Ness, I know that. I've trusted Christ as Savior. That's great. I hope that you mean that. I hope you've made that decision. If that's you and you know for sure you're going to heaven, hey, would you ask God tonight, God, would you help me to choose joy in my trials this week? God, would you help me to know that you are working and to allow you to work and to bring about that perseverance in my life? God, would you help me to trust that you are stretching me? And God, help me to choose joy this week. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.